The End Times, The New Covenant You may have heard it said that God sees life as one sees a parade from a blimp. You can see the front of the parade, the rear, and everything in between, while the people that are sitting on the ground can only see what is within view from a ground-level perspective at that moment. Because God is outside of our material universe, and He sees everything at once. You add to that that he's the one who created the heavens and the earth and everything that's within them, so he has a pretty good idea of the past, present, and future. And in his plan for mankind, he's given us the scriptures to explore, finding the pieces of the picture of the puzzle, that when we find them and begin to put them together, this picture begins to become a little more clear. And that brings about a confidence in knowing something about God's plan for humanity from the scriptures. And our job is not to try to do the thinking for God, rather to try to understand what we can from His Word and His Spirit. And covenants are a part of that picture of the puzzle that we're trying to piece together. Because Israel is the covenanted people of God. In other words, God made covenants with them. And there were conditional and unconditional covenants that God had made with Abraham and with Israel that when we take a look at, it makes sense when we see what is happening today and when we see the plan of God in the scriptures. And the Israelites, or the Jews, they play a huge part in this plan of God. So let's look at a couple of covenants, and hopefully we get a better picture of what I'm talking about. God separated a man named Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, from his family and brought him into the land of Canaan, where God made a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, where he said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then down in verse 7 it says, And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abram, or Abraham, he wasn't required to do anything. Therefore, he couldn't really break this covenant. It was a promise of God that he would create a great nation, a special people for God's purposes in redeeming mankind from sin that came about from the garden episode, of which we have all followed suit. And from Abraham came Isaac, his son, and from Isaac came Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel in Genesis thirty-two twenty-seven, where God said, What is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So now this man Jacob, or Israel, had 12 sons whose descendants would become the 12 tribes of Israel and ultimately the nation of Israel. And Jacob and his family went to Egypt when a famine struck the land of Canaan, and they stayed there several hundred years, and they grew into a nation. And what's interesting is the Egyptians, they didn't associate with shepherds because they detested them. They thought they were dirty, unclean. And Jacob's family, that's what they were. So fast forward a few centuries, and you have a nation of people that did not intermarry with the Egyptians. So their bloodline remained pure for the most part. And they numbered likely over a million people. And they were enslaved in Egypt by this time. They cried out for a deliverer. So in their slavery, God sent them a deliverer. So in comes Moses, Exodus 2.24. And God, hearing their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So that tells you that the covenant with Abraham, it was inherited by Isaac, not Ishmael, and from Isaac to Jacob, not Esau. So the covenant with Abraham was passed down to Jacob. So going back to Genesis 12, 2, it says, I will make of you a great nation. And he did, the nation Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He did. Abraham is revered by Jews, Muslims, and Christians, and his name indeed became great. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And God cursed the Egyptians with a series of plagues that basically reduced their power to very little, and not to mention the other enemies of Israel over time. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, because ultimately from the nation of Israel came Messiah, Jesus. And the land covenant in verse 7, where God told Abraham, to your offspring I will give this land, he did. And now, as the exodus from Egypt occurred, they were on their way home. Now, this can get kind of controversial because Abram, or Abraham, had a lot of kids. His firstborn, Ishmael, was the result of a plan by his barren wife, Sarai, and that was a mess, and God rejected Ishmael for the covenant. He said, no, Isaac is going to be the one that the covenant will go through. And Ishmael would go on and become the father of the Arab peoples in that land. And so the inheritance of the firstborn, in their eyes, should have went to Ishmael. But God clearly says that, no, it's not going there. God makes the decision. And this may seem insignificant to people who don't really get what's going on in the Middle East. But when you look at the Middle East today, that dispute over land, now things can make more sense. This is an ancient land dispute. And God sent Moses, who delivered the Hebrews or the Israelites, the descendants of Israel or Jacob, out of slavery. And after the Israelites left, God met Moses and issued a covenant with the Israelites. And that's called the law or the Mosaic covenant. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 6, then God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I will establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Again, this is all about a covenant God made with Abraham to produce a nation that would bless the world and inherit the land of Canaan. Continuing on in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, it says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So now Moses is given the land of Canaan by God to inhabit, along with the nation of Israel, who he was leading. And the Israelites knew nothing about this future covenant with God that they would be involved in when they left Egypt. And they left Egypt basically as slaves. They were freed, but they had very little education on the theology of their God, rather a distant covenant with Abraham that occurred several hundred years prior. There were no rules or code to follow to be the children of God, and they had just left Egypt, a place very well known for its pagan religions. So they were clueless. Now we're going to see God's plan of redemption for this planet a little more clearly with the covenant that he gave to Moses. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, it says, Now therefore you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. In the next chapter, you're going to see Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. And as the book continues, you see a variety of other laws given to govern the nation of Israel. Hey, this is how you are to behave if you want to be children of God. This is what I require. And you read through the book of Exodus, and that's where we get a lot of our foundation for morality. 
they now had some direction to follow God, and God said, you're going to be my treasured possession among peoples. And that hasn't changed. Despite Israel's rebellious history, God, who knows the end from the beginning, sees the Jews at the end of the redemption process yet future. The majority of Jews are still in spiritual rebellion against God in the same way that many in the church are in rebellion to him living in unbelief while pretending to be religious. And Exodus 19.6 is perhaps one of the clearest descriptions of Israel's role on this earth, to be to God a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Priests intercede between people and God. That's their job, is to represent God, is to intercede for the people and a holy nation, a people that demonstrated the holiness of God. And remember, God is omniscient. He knows everything. And when he issued this covenant, he knew exactly what the Israelites would do. And in Leviticus 26, God declares what he will do when they rebel. They rebelled and God did exactly what he said he would do. It's the same principle that we live by. God knew me before I was born. He knows everything about me, which is scary. But I know that my relationship is not based on me being good. Otherwise, I'd be hosed. It's based on the fact that God is good, not me. And he has offered me salvation because of his goodness. It's a free gift. And he's using every one of his children in his plan of redemption in ways that a lot of times we don't even understand. Because we, like the Israelites, are required to simply obey and trust what God is doing in our lives. Then in eternity, perhaps we're going to be able to see all the stuff that we didn't understand here. But until then, we're stuck in these mortal bodies and subjected to every temptation we encounter. So now the nation Israel, God's chosen people for his purposes, they're in full swing. And they crash and burn several times as they make their way to Canaan. But all the while, God is revealing himself to them, even in his wrath, when they really irritate him. They settle in the land. You can read about that in the book of Joshua, under his leadership, Joshua's leadership. And Joshua was faithful, and so were the elders of that generation. And so things ran relatively smooth. And as soon as they all died off, the nation plunges headfirst into the unholy customs of the neighboring people, which God warned them several times in the law not to do. But with respect to the covenant that he made with him, he doesn't destroy them. Fast forward about a thousand years, and you have the time that the Old Testament is wrapped up. And within that documented Old Testament history, Israel really struggled with holiness. They were not doing a good job at all as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And that's what they're supposed to be doing. That's why God created them. That's what the covenant's all about. The Israelites were supposed to be doing this, bringing glory to God, but they went sideways. And just as God said in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 30, he did. And this is for their rebellion. If they rebel, this is what's going to happen. It says, I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon them and the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. I will not smell your pleasing aromas. That's referring to the incense that they would offer up. I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation. Your cities shall be a waste. And that happened. So now Israel is at this point scattered and devastated. God kicked them out of the land. You read about that in the end of Second Kings and Second Chronicles. And the prophet Jeremiah, who was a part of all of that, prophesied that their eviction from the land is going to last 70 years. And after 70 years, God brings back a remnant to the land under the leadership of a great man in the Old Testament, Ezra, the priest, and Israel starts over. Now, one thing that is often overlooked about Israel's relationship with God is found in this pronouncement of judgment upon Israel's disobedience, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 40, where it says, But if they confess their iniquity 
and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they have committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. So national repentance gives them the opportunity to reconcile with God and his covenant. Now, to make things even more confusing, during the Old Testament period, there emerges a strange promise from God. It is an everlasting new covenant with the nation Israel, not like the one given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So now everyone is scratching their heads, asking the inevitable question, What? What does this mean? Well, basically what it means is that Israel has the chance to repent and renew that covenant. And in the end times, that's going to happen. And God gives several Old Testament prophets pieces of this new puzzle. And what we find is that there is a coming day when the Israelites will come into a place of total submission to God. They will be forgiven and restored to that purpose they were created to be, a holy nation. And let's look at a few of these references by the prophets regarding this new covenant. Ezekiel 36, 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. And interestingly enough, this is happening in our modern times. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. That kind of sounds like something out of one of Paul's letters. You will be clean. I'll give you a new heart, my spirit in you. Ezekiel 37 26, it says, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in the land and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So there's going to be a new sanctuary in their midst, and the nations will understand that, you know what, God has set Israel apart for his purposes on earth. We get it now. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And I will make a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of heaven, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So in this new covenant, nature is involved, and war is abolished. There's no more war, and the animals are happy. 
it appears the world is going back to the Garden of Eden type of environment. In addition, Isaiah adds to this new covenant that says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations, he shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So when the Lord returns, this is talking about that messianic kingdom that Jesus spoke so much of, the kingdom of heaven is like, that kind of thing. So the Lord's going to return, and there's going to be peace on earth during this time. He, the Lord, is going to judge between nations. He is going to decide disputes, and the world is going to be a completely different place. And there are more passages involving this new covenant, but the thing to consider is that God declared this new covenant for Israel to include things that bless the entire world. Think of not having war. That'll be cool. Think about nature being in harmony. That'll be cool. Think about God judging between the nations. <laughs> Think about God judging a dispute between you and somebody else. Perfect knowledge, perfect holiness, and here you guys come. It's like, you're a jerk. No, you're a jerk. Yeah, God's going to say, you're both jerks. Now get out of here and be holy. So this new covenant that God had promised the Jews, they have not entered into it yet. However, when Jesus was with his disciples right before he was crucified, they had that Passover meal. He took that cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He is the blood sacrifice for this new covenant. This new covenant sacrifice has already happened. And all of those Jews in the time of Jesus that believed in them, they received a new heart. They received forgiveness. They received the Holy Spirit within them. All of these things promised that they could have. But the nation as a whole rejected Jesus, and so they've postponed that covenant until the time when they come into complete submission to God. And at that time, they're going to come to Messiah, and they're going to realize, okay, this was the new covenant. Messiah did come exactly when Daniel 9 said he would. Now we get it, and when the nation comes to that point, it's going to be pretty cool. So the new covenant, it was issued in the Old Testament. It was kicked off with Jesus. The nation as a whole rejected it, and it still has yet to be fulfilled with the Jews. Thank you.